This is the Stories from 1916 podcast. Using first-hand accounts and archive material, we tell the less well-known stories of ordinary men and women who did extraordinary things during Ireland's revolutionary period at the start of the 20th century. The following are extracts from Jack Shaldice's letters from Lewis Prison, written throughout the December of 1916 and the first half of 1917, read here by Jack's son Chris. Jack was imprisoned at Dartmoor and Lewis jails for his role in the 1916 Rising. Prisoners were allowed one letter a month to be written on a single piece of paper. Later, in lieu of a visitor, prisoners were allowed to write another letter home. On a half page of foolscap, Jack squeezes in multiple letters to his family members, inquiring as to what daily life was like at home. 14th to the 18th of December, 1916. My dear mother, well, we've got the first step towards emancipation. We were changed here yesterday from Dartmoor, and needless to say, the change is all for the better. Extra food, but no variation. Allowed to write once a month, and I understand but not definitely, that we will be allowed a letter in lieu of a visit once a month, which means a letter every fortnight. The climate is much milder and our cells are far warmer than Dartmoor. The weather for the last month or two in the latter place was very severe, snow, frost and cold winds. It's quite probable you will have Frank home for Christmas. I sincerely hope so at any rate, though he seems to be in splendid form from what I hear from yourself and Nina. Bob appears to be in good form too. How are you managing as regards foodstuffs, groceries, etc.? The prices have gone up terribly, I believe. Have you a good supply of turf? I expect that has gone up like everything else. I must try to squeeze three letters into this, so excuse the short note, and I hope that Christmas will not be any less joyful for you because some of us may not be present to kick up a row. Do not worry about me, I'm quite well. Perhaps I may see you sooner than either of us imagine. My dear Bob, I'm delighted to get your letter last October and to know you were home again in old Bella and in fact better off in every respect as a result of your experience. Frank de Boyo seems to be thriving on life and enjoying himself as if he were on holiday. I would give a good deal to be able to have a lash at a football occasionally or a game of handball, but never mind, there's good time coming. These letters were Jack's only real contact to the outside world during the year he spent imprisoned. Even within the prison, conversation was restricted and prisoners rarely got the chance to talk, let alone socialise between themselves. Word had filtered through of the economic climate in Ireland. His main concern throughout his time in prison was his family's welfare. The First World War was taking its toll on the Irish economy and as prices shifted upwards, more and more families fell below the poverty line, unable to afford even the most basic of produce. 20th of February 1917. My dear mother, I held this letter for a week waiting for a reply to my last two, but have not heard yet. It is annoying and ridiculous to be holding up letters like this. Well, dear mother, I am quite well, thank God, and do not mind the prison life here so much as in Dartmoor. From what we hear now, we're better off than a good many outsiders. And affairs seem to be getting worse in that respect, provisions dearer and scarcer every day. 
I'm very glad indeed to know that you're all keeping so well and that you have escaped the usual cold yourself so far as Christmas. I heard all the rivers and lakes in the west were frozen and very heavy snow. Some reports were to the effect that it was the hardest winter for a quarter of a century. Censorship was especially strict for Irish prisoners. Topics of discussion were restricted to family and mundane musings on the weather. Frequently, the incoming letters from family members were full of redactions and largely illegible. Only through colloquialisms and ambiguous comments could any veiled reference to the political situation be mentioned. From the restricted content in Jack's letters, it is difficult to imagine how any useful information filtered through to the men. 14th of March, 1917. My dear mother... Do not be too sanguine, however, of my release in the future. A lot will depend on some settlement of the Irish question, which will take time, though no one ever knows. I had the pleasure of spending one of my birthdays in prison last Monday, which I did very quietly, and I hope it will be the last one, as it was the first. Glad to hear you're all well and cheerful. Keep the hearts up at any cost. Your affectionate son, as ever, John. Well, Prunchiusevic, so you're back on the land again after your six weeks' diversion in Dublin. The natives up there must have made a fuss of you to keep you five weeks longer than you intended. I expect, though, it was something akin to a shy but willing attitude on your part. Of course, I can guess too, as you say, what an interesting time you probably had. Things must be pretty slack in the way of jobs for men of your standard now in Dublin. What a pity you had not experience of bookkeeping or auditing. Glad to see you helped Bob's team of five to victory. You're getting your medals cheap, some pot and medal hunter. Bob must be some forward to score three or four goals in that match. It seemed to be a case of the brothers five for Bella. Glad to see the family reputation is being so well upheld in the strenuous game. So long, old man. Affectionately, Jack. As part of a general amnesty, the lower-ranking internees of Frongoch Camp in Wales were released just before Christmas of 1916. Jack's brother Frank was one of these men. This is the first letter we have from Jack to Frank. The loving relationship between the two is obvious from his writing, as too is his concern for his brother's prospects of employment. The state of the economy is a constant in Jack's writing. It must have been frustrating for him, worrying of his family's suffering while he was stuck in jail. 10th of April, 1917. My dear Frank, thanks for your entertaining and useful letter, and also the photos which I consider are very good. You look fine and robust, and your halls appear to be doing you immense during the past 12 months. Read your letter for Finn McGann and Mervyn. Uh, they were all delighted and laughed heartily. Poor P is not getting the best of health since confinement. Give all the boys and girls my love. Tell Bob we're not allowed any papers or nothing like that. And excuse this short scribble. Conditions for the prisoners had begun to improve by this time, as the political situation began to shift. 14th of April, Easter Sunday, 1917. My dear mother, we have had rather cold weather here for some weeks, frost and occasionally snow showers, rather unusual for this time of year. Food is getting scarcer and scarcer, I believe. Our rations, particularly the bread, are being reduced very much from Monday next in conjunction with, I suppose, the conditions outside. I think you're a good deal better off in the country now than you would be in Dublin, any amount of unemployed there by all accounts. 
I see Bob is thinking of going out there to America. They cannot be done now, of course, as the states are in the soup with the rest of them. The whole world is gradually getting roped in. However, it can hardly last longer than this year, though it is hard to be sanguine. I think, however, that there is a bright prospect before ERA and that Bob would be better off to remain at home and put up with things as they are a bit longer. My dear Frank, so you have survived Lent, all right. I see you are in ex-plant form. Well, for you, certainly you should be on Easter Sunday. We had some trouble during the previous Easter Sunday getting into our togs and belongings in order. And of course, the next morning, events have shifted somewhat since then and no error. We will soon have our 12 months in. Yes, there were a few reminiscences discussed here between us on the anniversaries, Something to look back on, sure enough, and with no regret, I may add. My dear Bob, just a few lines. I generally have to crush you into the corner for yourself. That is when I write to you at all. Hope you're fit and well again after that attack of the flu that you had when I heard from you last. It is surprising how some of the pubs are keeping open at all the prices in vogue. Any chance of your getting on the road travelling? There's a fine job, at least in some lines of biz. But I suppose you are too young yet and perhaps hardly pushing enough. US is out of the questions at present at any rate, so make the best of things if you can. Perhaps I'll see you in the good old summertime with God's help. So long, Bob. Yours affectionately, Jack. This was to be Jack's last letter home. The shift in the political climate had gained momentum by April 1917. Sinn Féin had begun to gain ground politically, with the election of Count Plunkett in North Longford in February. In April, the decision was taken by Sinn Féin to put Jack's fellow prisoner, Joe McGuinness, up for the election. Throughout his correspondence, Jack remained hugely concerned and preoccupied by his family's welfare, offering suggestions and advice from his cell in Lewis. Problems that affected the Shouldices in 1917 are easy to empathise with, and the possibilities of emigration to America by the youngest brother, Bob, is not far removed from many families' experiences today. Under de Valera's leadership, and after the success of Joe McGuinness, more demands of the prison authorities were made by the Irish detainees. A tactic of non-cooperation was put into action, and the men were divided and subsequently sent to different prisons. However, this transfer didn't last long. Jack, who was sent to Maidstone, was to remain there for less than two weeks. In the middle of June, Jack and the other prisoners were released en masse, given ill-fitting suits and a free ticket to anywhere in Ireland. After a journey by train and ferry, the Irishmen arrived into Westland Row Station in conditions unimaginable at the time of their arrest. Greeted as heroes, it justified for many the actions which they had taken over a year earlier. For more on the Shouldice family, visit www.storiesfrom1916.com. Thanks for listening.